0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. It's good to come together uh, to see your faces uh, this morning. Uh, We've had kind of a transition, right, of... uh, Last week, no social distancing, but still the mask on. Now, this week, no mask. And uh, just a reminder uh, that, that uh, for most of you, you don't have one on. So if you're making funny faces, I can now see them, okay? <laughs> um. You know, it was it was great not knowing what you were thinking as I was preaching to your eyes. But sometimes I could kind of read your. I was getting a little better at reading your eyes. But it is good to actually be able to see your faces in full to, to be able to uh, to communicate. Uh, love how the Lord designs things. Well, if uh, you uh, are new here this morning, I, I want to just to kind of set things up for our study of Joshua today. Uh, We are uh, in chapter 6, actually the end of chapter 5. We're going to be studying chapter 6 today. In chapter 1, the Lord prepares Joshua. He tells him to be strong and courageous. He tells him that he is to walk in faith, to trust him in all his ways, and to walk in obedience to him. In chapter two, we see the spies sent into Jericho, and as they're sent into Jericho, we see that God is going to give the land to Israel. But we also see that there's this unexpected twist where there's this woman, her name is Rahab, the prostitute, who will be saved as she cries out for mercy uh, in chapter two. And we're gonna talk more about her in a little bit. And then last week, we covered chapters three to five. How do they get from where they're at to cross the Jordan River it was not a small task however they're going to do that and God miraculously divides the river as the ark is uh, in the middle of the river the water is stopped up and it piled it literally says it's piled up and they walk through on dry ground they come to the other side they make camp in a place that will become known as Gilgal and as they're there they circumcise all the men they had been walking in obedience in, in, in their hearts, but now they needed the outward sign to be reminded that they were the people of God, and they also celebrate the Passover for the, f- the first time in the new land, and they are now ready. As I, best I could figure, they're about three or four miles now from Jericho at this point, and so that's where we're going to be picking up the story this morning. And, and again, when I say story, let's re, let's, these are real events, okay? I just want to make sure this isn't like Alice in Wonderland or something, okay? These are things that actually happened. So what's facing them now is a fortified city. How will they be able to defeat this city? What will, what will they have to do if they're going to defeat... A city that has not only a walled city, but they have many mighty men within it. How, how are they going to win this battle? As we look at the text this morning, I believe we're going to see three keys to victory. Three keys to victory. Any sports fans here? Okay, a few of you, okay. And you know, that's kind of a new thing the last few years they've done. The keys to victory. Score more goals than the other team, you know, stuff like, it's always like so helpful, you know, anyway, but play better defense than the other team, anyway. But, but these keys to victory are so important for Israel, and I believe they're so important for you and I today as well, because while they fought a physical battle, you and I are fighting a spiritual battle on a daily basis, and we will be until Christ returns their battle was a physical battle with eternal implications. Ours is a spiritual battle with eternal implications. Everybody got a Bible here? If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. I believe the ushers were able to find those, okay? So if you don't have, a, if you don't have your Bible with you, we want you to be able to look down at God's Word together with us today. As Joshua 5.13 is where we're going to start. So go ahead and flip there. Joshua 5.13. And as we study... Uh, together this morning, we were reminded that our authority is the Word of God. It is not the, the mind of man or, or, or the, something that the church has made up, but the, our authority is the Word of God. And so we read with expectation that what we're reading right now is not just something penned by man, but the Word of God to us as we read. Joshua 5.13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day, and and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you... Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and take the camp of Israel, a thing for destruction, and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young man who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord." But Rahab, the prostitute in her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has, has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid on, an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds his city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates." So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we are so thankful that Lord for your children that you are with us today in the same way that you were with Joshua. Lord, what an awesome thought that is. Lord, we are your children today because of what Christ has done. Lord, that he made a way that we might be redeemed, that he might made a way that we might be saved. God, we are so thankful for that truth this morning. And God, as we study your word today, God, we pray that as your people that we would be found faithful, that Lord, we would walk in obedience just as we have just read about your people, how they walked in obedience, that Lord, we would trust you fully. And God, I pray this morning, if there be anyone here who does not yet know you, there be anyone who is watching online Lord if they as they watch this they understand that they are sinners without a savior at this moment God I pray that you would help them to see that today could be the day of salvation for them if Lord that they would just humble themselves and cry out to you God we're so thankful today that you know our hearts Lord you know everything about them there is nothing hidden from you And God, we pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us now. That if there be any sinful way in us, God, that you would show us. If there is anything that we need to change, Lord, that you would show us. And that, God, we would be more like you as a result of our time together this morning. Lead this preacher now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so three keys to victory. As we battle our enemies, there's three keys to victory. The first, we need to see the king in his glory. We need to see the king in his glory. As we pick up in Joshua 5, 13 to 15, as we mentioned, the camp is about three to four miles from Jericho. When we see that Joshua, he's out. He's, he's he, What's the next thing? It's to attack the city of Jericho, and he's, he's probably deep in thought, how are we going to do this? How, how are we going to come against this city? And, and we read in Joshua 6.1 that there's not a lot of people milling about, right? The, the, the city is fortified. There's no one going in. There's no one going out. And so as he's deep in thought, he notices that there's someone there. And, and as he sees the man, he also sees that the man has a sword drawn. And so he goes over to the man and he asks him, are you for us or are you against us? And I love the answer. What was the answer? No. Right. Are you for us or are you against us? No. The, the whole point here is what? I'm for the Lord. I'm the captain of the army of the Lord. The better question is, are you for the Lord or are you against the Lord? And David says this, sometimes we need to see that Yahweh is not so much partisan as sovereign. That is the most important that, that, that is the most important to recognize that God's position, sorry, that is more important to recognize God's position than to know God's plan. Are we for the Lord or are we against him? He is sovereign. This word here for commander, it could be translated captain or prince. The Lord's arm, army is often pictured as a group of angels We see that throughout the Bible. We see it in the the 19th chapter of Revelation. So the question here is, who is this man that Joshua is coming over to? What we see as he comes over to him, he's not just a man. In fact... He tells them that he's the commander of the, of the Lord's army. And as he says that, Joshua understands right away that he is on holy ground, right? He drops before him and he worships him right away. And as he does that, the man says, take off your shoes for this is holy ground. So scholars, theologians will say, okay, well, what's going on here? Well, at the very least, we could say that this is a theophany. A theophany is an appearance of God in physical form. It would be like in Exodus chapter 3, right? The burning bush, that was a theophany. God was in the midst of the burning bush, and in the same way that we see right here in this text, he says, take off your sandals for the ground that you are on is holy. This was not just an angel, this was God himself. Likely, the angel of the Lord... The pre-incarnate Christ who has come, I believe that it's the pre-incarnate Christ. Why? Because when we get to Revelation 19, He's the one leading the army. He's the one who's going to come and bring destruction against all wickedness. Let me read Revelation 19:11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness He judges and makes war. Verse 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen are coming behind him, white and pure, and they come on white horses. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's so many parallels to what we're seeing here as as God is coming against Jericho, to what we will see at the end of it all, when God will come and he will judge all wickedness. Love God's way of dealing with his people. What What did Joshua need to see at that moment more than anything as he's considering how is this wall coming down? He needed to see the commander of the Lord. He needed to see that the battle was not his, but God's battle. David says this, the God of the Bible has a knack for tailoring the disclosures of his character to the various and particular needs of his people. What did Joshua need more than anything? He needed to see the warrior. He needed to see the commander of the Lord's army with him. And he says in verse 14, now I have come. Now he has come. He doesn't need to give any more explanation than that. He has come for one purpose, to bring judgment against the evil nation of Canaan. He had warned that 400 years earlier that this day would come. 400 years the land of Canaan had to repent, but they did not repent. And now the Lord has come, and he will judge wickedness. It's important for you and I to remember that. God will judge wickedness. He may delay, as he did in this case, for over 400 years, but he will bring judgment. Hebrews 10, 30, 31 says this, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Lord had made it clear that the reason that he has now come was to bring judgment on the evil that had been committed by the peoples of the land. In Leviticus 18, he talks about all these different sexual sins from verses 1 to 23. He gives all kinds of different sexual defenses, things that have been twisted. And he says in verse 24 of Leviticus 18, Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by, all, for by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. The reason that God is coming and he's wiping out the city of Jericho in this account is because of their wickedness, because of their sin, in particular, because of their sexual sin. How many parallels do we see to our day? The Lord expects his creation to live by his word, to live by his decrees. And when they do not, he will bring judgment. He alone has the authority to do so. He alone says what we ought to do and not do. It is not by popular opinion. It is not by the the newest, latest thing. It is by his decree. Joshua shows us how we ought to react to a holy God. Isn't that, isn't that great? As soon as he recognizes who he is, he's on his face before him, right? Not this high five that sometimes people think, you know, when, I've come, when I come to heaven, I can't wait to give God a high five, you will not be giving him a high five, right? He is God and there is no one like him and you will be low before him just as Joshua was here. And he, 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 and he gets low, he gets humble, and then he asks, and then when, when he's told what to do, what does he do? He obeys right away. As soon as he says, take off your sandals, what does he do? He takes off his sandals. This is the way that we ought to respond to God. Full worship, full obedience to him. This morning, I want you to stop And ask the Spirit of God to examine your heart. Are you walking in disobedience to Him in any way? Are you willfully walking in defiance against Him? If you are, then I'm pleading with you this morning to repent now. God will judge all sin. But if you repent and you walk in humility before him and live in obedience, then the judgment will be passed from you. See the king in his glory. If you and I are to live a victorious life over our enemies, then we must take seriously that God hates wickedness. We need to picture the Lord with a sword drawn, ready to come against all evil. Listen to the warning in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18, 30 to 32. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all transgressions, lest the iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? And then he says this. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. What a merciful, gracious God to warn us over and over again. He takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. So turn and live. So people, as they read the book of Joshua, are like, oh, look at that God. Just, you know, just killing everyone and, he, and you know, like, I'm so glad he's not like that today. Wrong. Wrong. He is a God who judges sin and he will judge every sin. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never heard the good news of the gospel. You've heard that God judges sin. And I, I, I may not know you, but I'm telling you, you have sinned against him. I know that because that's what the Bible tells us. Every single one of us have sinned against him. There is no sin that is too small to be judged. Every sin must be judged. And so there is condemnation facing every one of us. But God sent his son. His son came, he lived the perfect life. Being fully God and fully man, At the end of his life, as was appointed by God the Father before the creation, he went to the cross. And as he hung on the cross, he took all of those sins, my sin, your sin, he placed it upon the Son, God the Son, eternal God. He placed that sin upon him, and then his wrath that is rightfully due for all sin was poured out on Jesus instead of you and I. And this is true for all who would place their trust in him. If you would place your trust in him, then the judgment is no longer on you. Romans 8 says that there is therefore no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. But you must place your trust in him or judgment awaits you just as it awaited Jericho. God is warning us this morning. May we place our trust in him. If you're not in Christ today, then God for you today is the judge. The judge who will punish you eternally for all of your sins. But today, he could become to you the savior if you would humble yourself before him and place your trust in him. See the king in his glory. Worship him. Walk in obedience to him knowing that the victory is his. The victory is his. Can you imagine the weight off of Joshua's shoulders as he understands that the commander is there. He's ready to do the work. They just need to walk in obedience to whatever he says to do. This brings us to our second point. Believe the king at his word. Believe the king at his word, verses one through 19 of chapter six. When we believe, we need to believe with conviction. With conviction. Verse 1, he, he sets the scene again. Listen, the, this, the, the, the city is fortified. But now, God himself, as he stands before Joshua, tells him what to do in verses 2 to 5. He assures Joshua that the city of Jericho would be given into his hand. That there will be no one who will be able to stand against Israel the king and all the mighty men of valor will be defeated by Israel. Note in verse 2, it says the mighty men of valor. He's not downplaying the challenge here, right? He's not downplaying the, the, the forces that are against them, but he's, he's saying they will be defeated. So what's the plan to defeat this great city? All the men of war are to march around the city once. That's they were supposed to do for six days. But they're not to go alone. Who else are we going to send in? Navy SEALs? Special Ops? No, priests. Seven priests with the ram's horn. And then behind them is the Ark of God being carried by four men, four priests. And then behind them, there's some more men of war. That's the picture. The men of war, the seven priests. The ark, which represents what? The presence of God with them. And then the men of war again, falling behind. Do that once for six days. Walk around this wall. On the seventh day, do it seven times. And at the end of that, shout. And guess what's going to happen? The walls are coming down. Joshua was like, oh, that was totally what I was thinking right? Says no one. Only God does this. Only God makes these, things, makes these kind of plans. Like, I knew that the singing would be louder today, right? Because no mass, right? I mean, we could actually hear your voices coming towards the front here, and, and I know and I, it was awesome to hear, but not for a moment was I worried about the walls coming down because of your singing, right? Like, that's not what happens. This was truly the plan of God, God loves to do things in a unique way, does he not? I'm going to destroy the world for their wickedness, but I'm going to give this guy Noah plans to build a boat. And then after about 100 years of construction, they're going to get on the boat, them and all, and two of every animal, they're going to get on the boat. That's how I'm going to save the earth. He looks down and chooses a family out of all the nations of the earth. and said, that's, that's going to be my people. And then he waits till they're 100 years old and 90 years old before he gives them a baby. He uses a pipsqueak of a man, probably about my height, maybe a little bit shorter, to defeat a giant with a slingshot and a stone. He uses this guy, Samson, who has long hair, and he takes a jawbone of a donkey and he defeats 1,500 people. I mean, God loves to do things in a unique way. Why? Because he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. Just as is salvation that he's brought to us. Giving to a woman a virgin birth, probably 13, 14 years old, and her husband, is a carpenter, they don't have a lot he's born literally in a manger in a barn and then he lives a perfect life and brings about our salvation through his suffering and death god god loves to do things in a unique way and the question this morning is do you have faith in this god Hebrews 11, 6 says this, and without faith it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe him this morning that he will do everything that he says he will do? What I love about the people of Israel at this moment, as in Joshua, when he first gets the plan, he's not like, do you have a different plan? Maybe, maybe something a little bit more strategic. No, he trusts that if this is what God says is best, then this is what's best. And I'm going to follow it 100% as he, says as he told us to. I mean, listen, the same circumstances that are facing these people were the same circumstances that mom and dad were facing 40 years earlier. And it did not turn out well for them. Same God, same circumstances, the difference, they had faith. They were convicted that what God says is true is always true. And so we will walk in obedience to him. This morning, do you believe the promises of God in his word for you? Some of you are anxious here this morning. Some of you are stressed out. I want to encourage you to open the Bible And read the promises of God for you. Go back to the book of Romans, which we've been studying. Read 1 through 8 again and see how rich your salvation is. And then believe accordingly. Your anxiety, your fear will soon fade as you believe in the promises of God. Peter Jeffrey says this, Faith is not an irresponsible step into an unknown but a reasonable obedience to the will and word of a sovereign, almighty God. If he says it, we're going to do it. Doesn't matter if it makes sense to us or not. Because then he gets the glory. Believe the king and his word with conviction. Believe it with action. Believe it with action. We're reminded of what it says in James. We are, our faith ought to be shown by our action Faith is not simply lip service. It results in changed desires and actions. And the writer of Joshua wants to make it clear that the people did just as God commanded them. Right? He took a lot of verses to show us that. This was the plan. Then Joshua goes and tells them the plan. And then they did the plan. See how they did the plan on day one? See how they did the plan on day two? I could keep writing and give you a repeat for the next, the full six days, but that's what they did, right? That's what they were doing. And as they walked around the wall, there was only one sound. And that was the sound of the, of the shofar? Shofar? The shofar blowing. I'm such a Hebrew scholar, okay? Let's hear what that sounded like. That's all they heard as they walked around the wall. not a, You would have heard the sound of the marching of the feet and that was it. No one said a word as they were told. Can't imagine what those people within the walls of Jericho were thinking. I mean, they were already freaked out, right? They already knew about what God had done at the Red Sea and what he had done to Egypt. And they'd already known, they already knew what he had done to the enemies on the other side. And now they'd heard about the Jericho River, and now, or sorry, Jordan River. And now they are walking around Jericho. So they do that for six days. And then on the seventh day, they again, they walk in obedience. Now this time, not just once, but seven times they walk around the city And then there's this prolonged blast of the trumpet. And Joshua says, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Again, look at the faith there. The walls haven't started coming down yet. He knows that at the shout, that's that's when it's going to happen. This is what God said. And he believes it. This morning, are we walking in faith? Our actions matching what we believe the God's word says. In our battle against the Lord's enemies, we are to be a people who live by faith and not by sight. That we, we we live ought to bring glory to the Lord and show his power at work within us. In case we think that we're so great, Paul gives us a great reminder in 2 Corinthians 4 what we really are. Second Corinthians 4, 6 and 7, he says this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God has saved you and I and as if we're truly living the way that we ought to be living and God is showing his light through us everyone's going to look at you and know it's not about you. They're going to want to know your God when they look at your life. If you live in a way that is pleasing to the Father, if you walk in full obedience to him, he gets the glory. He gets the honor. And it is our privilege to spread his glory around the earth. So they have conviction. They have action. And then as they believe the king and his word, they do so with precision. They do, do so with precision. As he's telling them to shout, there's like this little bit which I'm sure had already been told before, all right? There's some instruction that they had already been told before about what they are to do when they come in the city. I don't think he said shout. Okay, wait a minute. Last minute instructions, right? This had been told already. What were they to do? When they went in, they were to devote the city to destruction, complete destruction. Everything in it Killed. They, they were to burn the city down. The only thing that was to be kept out was the silver and the gold, the bronze, and the iron. And that was to be given to the treasury of the Lord. In other words, none of the, it, the nation of Israel was to benefit nothing from this. Everything was to be set apart for the Lord. But as he tells them about this, he also gives them a warning And he says in verse 18 that they are to keep themselves away from the things devoted for destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. They are warned to keep their distance from the things that they might be tempted to keep. A little foreshadowing for what we're going to see next week. The New American Standard translates it this way. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban. The NIV says keep away from the devoted things. Even in the victory, they need to be careful. They need to do exactly what God has told them to do and to be wary about the temptations that lie there. And so it is for you and I as we go out every day. We need to be wary about the temptations. We need to be following God exactly as he says and not our own interpretation of it. God says not to do something. We ought not to think, well, as long as I only do it 60% of the time, then it's okay. No, if he says it's forbidden, then it's forbidden. We ought not to... To compromise in any way. We also ought to remember that when he says keep away, then keep away. Do not think that you have more strength than what God says you have. We see how that went for Peter, right? Jesus told him, Listen, on this night you will betray me three times, you're going to deny me. He's like, That's not happening. I would die first, and within hours, what? He's done it, and so as you go out, live your life in a wise way. Live your life with caution. Do not put yourself in places where you know you will not be able to thwart the temptation. How many men and women have fallen into temptation because they have foolishly placed themselves in places they should have never been? be humble and recognize that in yourself you will fail. First Corinthians 10:12 Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If you have certain people that you're around and anytime you're around them you are walking in sin, guess what? Cut them out of your life for now. Maybe at some point you will have the strength to go back and give them the gospel, but for now, it will be better for you to walk in holiness than to you be continually torn down in your relationship with God. Men and women, I've said this before, use wisdom in your relationships with one another. Do not be foolish and think that you are above temptation. in your time on the Internet. If there are certain websites that cause you to stumble, then stop going to them. If there are certain times that you find yourself more tempted when you go on the internet, then stop going on the internet at that time. Be wise, keep away. If alcohol is a cause of stumbling for you, then stop drinking, get rid of it all out of your house. Keep away. The command that all of us need to heed to. Believe the king at his word with precision and you will find yourself living in victory rather than defeat. As we battle enemies, there are three keys to victory. The last one is this. Choose the king before his judgment. Choose the king before his judgment. As we read the concluding verses of Joshua 6, we see the judgment of God coming against the city of Jericho. The victory for the Israelites is so certain, there's remarkable, remarkably nothing really here. Two verses, that's it, right? 20 and 21, and they destroyed it, right? Verse 24, and they burned it down. Why? Because when God is in it, it it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. He said they were going to be destroyed, and they were destroyed, right? If you're making a movie, this is like half the movie, But not for God. He spends as much time talking about the salvation of Rahab as he does about the destruction. So the walls come down. Now, in my mind, I'm like, the whole time, the whole half the week, I'm thinking about, like, okay, well, in Joshua 2, it said that it's, like, her house is part of the wall. How's this working out? Would anyone here think that maybe God, who just makes walls fall down when people shout, was able to leave that part of the wall up? Anyone think that that was possible? That he was, he's fully able to save anyone who says he's going to be able to save? There was no casualties in the home as part of the wall came down in their home, right? That didn't happen. So it would have been pretty easy for these two spies to go and say, hey, come with us, right? And so they go in, and everyone in the house, what do we read? Mom, dad are there, brothers, and all who belong to them, they all come out of the house. And they take them outside the city, and that city is destroyed. The judgment of God coming against all of the wickedness. And as the smoke goes up, they are the only ones left alive. Why was she saved? because she cried out for mercy. It's the only reason. The whole Bible calls her Rahab the prostitute. She had sinned against God just as much, maybe more than others in Jericho, and yet because she cried out for mercy, she is saved. Because she had not just lip service faith, but actually put it into action, committed treason against her own people and placed her faith in this God, she is saved. It's an awesome, awesome picture. Still true today. As the Lord brings judgment against that city, He does it so in accordance with his perfect justice, in his perfect wisdom. God does not need us to try to defend him at this point. Like, even the animals are killed? Like, whoa, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this was the right thing or not. And, and well, maybe if we really look at the Hebrew, not everyone was killed. Like, no, everyone's killed including the animals, because this city was so wicked, God deemed it necessary that everything was destroyed. But that day was just the beginning for those wicked people. Still today, they are being judged by God. For all of eternity, they will be judged by God, punished for their wickedness against a holy God. Everybody gets so worked up about what happens in Joshua 6, they miss the point. This is going to be the case for everybody who sins against a holy God. And unless you're like Rahab and cry out to him for mercy, you too will be judged. I'm praying this morning that all of us here have cried out to him for mercy. So we look at the end of the chapter, we see that, that Joshua makes an oath in accordance to what God desires. That anyone who rebuilds the city back to the way it was, that, that puts up the gate, that builds up the walls, anyone who would do that, that their children would be killed. First Kings 16, 20, 34 tells us, that he all did so, and he suffered the consequences. God is faithful to do what he always says he will do. And then in verse 27, in contrast to that, we read that God was with Joshua, and his fame was spread in all the land. God is faithful to bring about cursings. God is faithful to bring about blessings, just as he says he will People of the city of Jericho had hundreds of years to repent before the judgment of God came. Only Rahab cried out for mercy. And so the judgment of God fell upon that city. This morning, hear the warning that the judgment of God comes against all sin. It is only a matter of time. Follow the path of Rahab and choose the king before the judgment comes. He is a merciful God. Repent today before the judgment of God comes against you. Alexander McLaren, thinking about the captain of the Lord's army with the sword drawn, he says this, No one can succeed in taking up arms against the Lord Jesus The course of wisdom then is for us to throw down our weapons and submit to him now as our rightful king. Psalm 2.12 says this, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. This morning, put your trust in him. Your whole trust in him. As we Battle our enemies, Satan and all his forces. As we battle them, see the king in his glory. Believe the king at his word. As you believe, do so with conviction, with action, and with precision. And choose the king before it's too late, before his judgment. As we close this morning, I want us to think about was facing us as we go out the doors. It would seem that the walls are getting taller. Doesn't it seem that way? That the antagonism against the church is getting more and more. The world seemingly is coming up with new ways to twist the word of God on a daily basis. And you better get with the program. If you do not do what the world wants you to do, then they will make you be punished. They will ostracize you. They will call all kinds of names against you if you do not compromise on the word of God. Come on, other churches have done it. Why can't you? Why can't you compromise on what this book says? You're hateful. Your phobia, whatever phobia. That's just the new word. We'll just come up with a new word every week. If we can just repress those hateful Christians, what will you do? What will you do? Are you going to cower? Are you you going to say, okay, okay, sorry, you're right. God is a God of love. I guess we can just... I probably don't really understand the book. I mean, it seems pretty clear, but I'm no scholar. We'll just go with what you say. Will you do that? Or will you do something as foolish as walk around the city six times, then on the seventh day seven times, and do exactly what God's word says? And what does he call you to do? redemption. If you're a believer, what does he call you to do? Go out and proclaim the good news of the gospel. How do you defeat a world that is increasingly coming against Christians? You proclaim the good news of the gospel. And the sword, Hebrews four twelve, the sword that you proclaim, the word of God will pierce people's hearts as Christ places pushes that into their lives as he takes his word. And he, he does what only he can do. He changes hearts. If you're a believer here, guess what? He did a miracle in your life. He made you, changed you from a rebellious sinner into someone who would believe in what this word says. And he can do the same for your worst enemy. Do you believe that today? Do you, do you, do you believe that God's word still saves? Do you believe that the gospel has power to save? Romans 1:16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that true of you this morning? That we are not ashamed, and that as we go out and proclaim, those enemies become what? Family, and they come back here on the next Sunday morning, and then what? We go back out, and we proclaim the good news, believing that God still has the power to save. Why has he not come back on his horse to bring the judgment? Because there's still Rahabs to get saved. There's still, do you believe it? If you believe it? Then redemption? March. As we leave here this morning, march. We are more than conquerors through Christ. We are armed with the word of God and we ought to expect great things as we leave here. Do you believe? All God's people said? Let me pray for us. Lord God, we're so thankful that you take the foolish and you use it to bring yourself honor and glory. God, it seemingly seems that We are more and more the target of hostility. We're more and more the target of hate. But God, help us to remember you win the war. God, help us to remember that there are still people who need to be saved, and you're calling us to be strong and courageous this morning to go out to a lost and dying world and proclaim the good news that though their sins deserve judgment, God, you have made a way through Christ that we might be saved. God, help us to be bold with the gospel. Help us to be looking for those opportunities each and every day. And God, we believe that as we are faithful, you will change people's lives you will tear down those walls of unbelief and bring about the victory through Jesus Christ. God, help our unbelief. And this morning, if if we as your children have been walking in disobedience to you, God, forgive us. God, I pray for every person here, Lord, that you would help them to truly repent of their sin. Lord, if there are things in their life that, Lord, they know right now need to be repented of. God, help them to do so. And then, Lord, help them to walk in faith with conviction and action and precision so that your glory might be seen through them. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.